0: Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show, and I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. Actually, did I say readers and listeners? Readers and listeners. Reading Parting the Waters, 014, 014. I always don't like how there's only one zero. It should be 0014, but so be it. Here we are. We are back in Albany, Albany, Georgia. And today's a very special day. Today is my birthday.
1: (laughs) Happy birthday, Paul. Thank you,
0: Gabe. And I, there's nothing more that I'd rather do than record a show about the civil rights with my dear friend, Gabe, talking about a Taylor Branch book about the civil rights, and especially this chapter for some reason. I, I feel like there's a lot of darkness and failure around us, and this is helping me make sense of small victories, losses, and things like that. I've always supported things that usually don't win. I'm a, I was opposed to the death penalty for an early age, for a living wage didn't want the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. I wanted Bernie Sanders to be the president. All those things have failed. (laughs) Anyways, um,
1: Gabe, how are you doing? You know, I'm pretty good, but I think actually there's been a lot of progress on a lot of those fronts and a lot of the struggles continue, but we, uh, we take lessons from struggles like this and we Renew ourselves, as we do by celebrating your birthday every yes. year.
0: Yes, we do. <laughs>
1: um, so it's
0: been a while recording this, and I want to apologize. And I have some letters here. So um, let me get to those letters. The disgruntled listeners
1: bombarding some you Some folks, yeah. So this is, a, th-
0: this is a letter from Carol in Avon Lake, Ohio. And she says, every morning when I wake up, I check TikTok, Zimzam, Facebook, even though Facebook has lost its zazz, and the PRC show Reading the Parting the Water's feed. It has been very disappointing to not hear any new episodes in over two months. You are both doing a great job, and I give thanks and praise for this excellent podcast, but please keep them coming. Carol. I want to say that is very nice to hear, and I apologize, Carol. The thing is, we do have other lives. We both work full-time. We have um, five and a half children between us. What's a half of kid? Um, I don't know. Is there any pets? Maybe we don't. Maybe we have five. Uh, So thank you, Carol. That was probably one of the nicest letters we got. We got another one here. This is is from Maggie. Hi, mates. (laughs) This is Maggie from Australia. I really love the show. I'm reading about American history. I'm a nurse and a history buff. I really like the sound of Gabe's voice, and I have a sense he's handsome and has nice eyes. Anyways... Why did it take so long after the 1900s, in the 1900s, to have the Civil Rights Movement? Why didn't it happen like in the 1920s? You know, what? why why did that happen? This is um,
1: Maggie in Brisbane, Australia. Gabe, do you want to take that one? Well, there are a couple important things to That could say. be a whole show, Maggie. I, mean, I think it's important to understand that there are antecedents and movement building and important struggles that do happen in the 20s and earlier. Uh, and I would just... Uh, let Maggie down easy by saying uh, I have a face made for radio
0: <laughs> that is not true at all he's very handsome I would say you know yes after a civil war why didn't this happen there was reconstruction there was white supremacy there was lynchings there was a lot of lynchings that there really was a civil rights movement and just a lot of those people were killed and I think a lot of historians would say you know with the what did you say antecedent is that the word you used
1: it's a word you could use here. I can't yeah. remember exactly what word I just used. I think that's a I word I'll I your word used. for it.
0: Um, there was a lot of movement building. And then as time goes on, the movement continues to grow and people get more acclimated to maybe this is a good thing. World War II, I think it did a lot to uh, help with reducing racial tension maybe. I don't know. Um, but you should go read other books. Go read Eric Foner. We'll do a show on that and learn more about A. Philip Randolph. Um, I have one more letter here. I mean, actually, we have so many, but I can't get to them because we got to get to the show. This is from John Cage. He is from Beyond the Grave in Los Angeles, California. If anyone gets that reference, great. Um, I like the talking and the content, but I hate the noise and the music. <laughs> Gabe, how can you think and speak with that noise and that cacophony of trash in your ears? God bless you.
1: <laughs> what a jerk! Anyways, I'm gonna he's just exp- talking about your children, or uh, I think
0: he's talking about rudely. the mu- he's I think he's talking about the music that I insert. So I'm gonna answer for Gabe. Sometimes there's music playing behind our voices or with this stuff that is done after we're done talking. So you know we don't hear that when we're recording. All right, so I, I for
1: one like the musical like, selections. I
0: really appreciate that. So what we learn about in this chapter, we go back to Albany. We, why does King, I got a couple teasers here. We learn that King gets out of jail one time, but he says, I'm, I'm getting out of jail, but I'm not happy about it. Who we learn There's a guy that says, nobody knows, but the laundry man, how scared I was. There's an incident of King jumping out a window and running away. Um, Oh, and then there's, uh, I like avant-garde jazz, Gabe, but there is, you're looking at me like, what is this going to be relating to this? There is an, what I would consider an avant-garde legal theory that supports white supremacy. I almost fell off my chair when I read it. I was, uh, he's looking at me. Maybe you're not sure. We'll see if Gabe did the readings. If not, he's going to be scolded. Um, King gets yelled at by SNCC leaders. How does it go? Who's right? Is King right? Or is it the youth? And then... We'll get to this later, but is Governor Nelson Rockefeller trolling Kennedy? Um, And then there's a young character, like a young Paul Cooley character, that causes a problem. So let's get into it. One second. Before we get into it, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Again, this is like the summer of 1962, and then we're going to get right into this. Okay, I'm going to call this chapter, like... Albany Part Two, or Everybody is Hating on King. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually called The Fireman's Last Reprieve, which is a great ch- chapter title. You'll find it at the end. So the chapter starts out with King and Abernathy being in jail on a historic day f- per branch because TV's like the big story. Uh, the jailings were not on the news, but literally LBJ is on TV looking at himself through a bunch of video cameras, and it's like an infinity of himself. Who cares? Nobody. So the jailings did make some headlines, though. The Albany Herald says, King languishes in the Bastille. Some press is making noise about King's safety and raising questions to RFK. Like, what are you going to do about it? And then I like this little tidbit. It's interesting. There's some advice from Billy Graham's public relations specialist. That says, whatever you do, never publish anything <laughs> from inside a prison. I love that. <laughs> never hold everything back. Nothing nothing should be published while you're in prison. Hold everything until released. So this chapter, we are not going to get uh, a letter from the an Albany jail. Little teaser, guys. If everyone knows, there's a famous letter from Birmingham jail. Sorry. So Dr. Anderson's head of the movement uh, in Albany. Remember, he's the one that kind of lost his mind when he was in jail, which they don't really emphasize in the eyes on the prize. They don't mention it all. So he brings the supporters back to rally the troops and saying, you know, it's an hour, never effort, but there's little enthusiasm. The emotions of the previous year's marches have really cooled and listeners were numbed by the harsh realization that the city had dared to jail a celebrity like King on charges that still hung over 700 of them. Reporters in Washington you know, were questioning Kennedy on what to do, and President Kennedy said he was going to produce a report about it. Uh, James Gray, chairman of the Democratic Party in Georgia, talks to the president saying, Jack, we got Martin Luther King in jail. We don't want him in jail. Can you help? Can someone please pick him up? JFK did not embrace the idea of having him released for presidential purposes, and Albany refused to compromise with integration. Branch writes that the administration was determined to maintain an image of masterful control without intervening forcefully on either side. So right now we're at this, like, the movement has no momentum. White supremacy is firmly in charge. King is in jail, but Kennedy doesn't want him in jail. Neither really does the... Does the people in uh, Georgia – any thoughts on this little setup here, how things are going, Gabe? If not, I can keep moving
1: on. Well, I I found myself trying to imagine this um, Georgia Democratic Party operative who is friendly with the Kennedys and a little bit informal with them and saying, we got King in jail, but but what can we do? He's breaking our laws, but we got to get him out of here. Maybe you all could come and pick him up. And just – I can imagine this um, – easygoing, kind of charismatic, smart, um, and just morally vacuous person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think there are people doing politics like that to this day all over the
0: world. All the time. So prior to this, there's a meeting of 600—what did I say prior to this? There's a meeting of 600 people at the Shiloh Baptist Church. This is where everyone meets. Outside, there's a small crowd of juke—juke? Juke, juke joint black folks and evening drinkers they took it upon themselves to loft bricks and bottles at the police cars who were nearby this is kind of the first time i think we're seeing a little bit of um (laughs) like i know that's bad and it's not violence but like courage on the the just general non-activist i don't know black population i thought it was actually i don't think that's
1: true i mean you you can't tell the montgomery story without all kinds of ordinary people working class people getting involved no i know but um
0: like these are like peripheral characters that are like screw that i'm gonna throw a beer bottle this is the first that's what i mean the first time we're getting like riffraff engaged which is a bad but also kind of i think like an indication like maybe they feel like they're not gonna get killed if they do that That, that's yeah that's my brain yeah i I
1: find my i find myself thinking about this the social dynamic here of people who wanted to to take on the cops because they thought the cops were being abusive and pushing their luck and also a sense that this is our community. We're going to control it. And there's a dynamic where the cops are armed, but they they're not firing back, but they're also sort of um, afraid that they're going to get hurt. And this happens, a, a,
0: this happens a couple times in the chapter. And I don't remember this happening before where, you know, they, he always re- refers it as like juke joint bar folks throwing stuff. So they, they took it upon themselves to loft Brooks at the police chief Pritchett and his besieged men were like in a war mood. They're upset. So he goes into the church. And this is a very fascinating scene. Slater King, the big King family, not MLK, but the other King family from Albany. He was um, chairing the meeting. He calls out, you know, Pritchard comes in. We're in the presence of Chief Pritchard. Uh, Pritchett. Let's give him a hand. Everybody claps. Yay! which is weird, but whatever. He gets a standing ovation for a half a minute. Police outside hear this. They're staring at each other in wonder. Pritchett reads the pulpit, his his neck, his face, his ears are flushed like deep red. You know, he's like, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Is that how he talks? I know. He said like in a half smiling, I have been told I would be welcome. I didn't know whether it would be true or not. There was some, Branch rights, there's some gratitude and respect, even fellowship with a combined edge of, like, half humor and sarcasm from Pritchett. He told the crowd, I never would have interrupted your peaceful assembly, but I ask your cooperation keeping Albany peaceful. This business of throwing rocks is not good. And then the crowd erupted, like, yeah, we agree. Um, and then he leaves. Another officer who was on was with him inside confessed with like wobbly legs. It's like these two white guys going into like the black civil rights church. Like, yikes, chinkies, man! Don't don't let me go back in there, chief. Nobody but the laundry man will know how scared I was because he pissed his pants, obviously. But the point of this little story to me is, afterwards, Slater King returns to the pulpit, and he's kind of like pissed that everyone was like giving him this respect. He said, we want to give him respect, but not like he's some kind of God. Maybe I'm guilty of this myself. It is the system we've been conditioned by, but let's not be brainwashed. Essentially saying, you know, he's upset that the admiration for Pritchard by the congregation and almost like appalled that folks were showing him too much love. Um, probably the right thing to do. Nevertheless, I can understand him being upset that Like, if I was in there, I'd be wanting
1: to throw a bottle at him, which would be the wrong thing to do, you know? So the people who are on the streets throwing bottles coming out of um, what he calls juke joints, right? And the people who are in the church praying at the core of the movement, there's some social distinction between these people, right? And not— it might not have been huge in class terms, right? But obviously the the choices that these people are making are different. And it reminds me of earlier chapters where we've talked about the um, the culture of, of respectability and jail, and I think there probably is um, a, res- a residual culture of um, obedience and order and Wanting to be seen to be respectable, which you know, um, King, the other King in this sense, is is uh, frustrated by, but it's also a sign that uh, Laurie Pritchett is very perceptive about the problem that what you could call street violence could cause politically to the movement, and he is going to use that. Uh, in the media and he's going to use that as a weapon later.
0: Yeah. It's almost like the people in the church are, you know, conservative or very reserved. I don't know what the term is. Like, con- that's not the right word, but they're, they're the ones that wear nice hats and dress up and the folks outside are the more, I don't know, riff
1: Riffraff. It- Sure. I mean, what I was saying about the class distinctions is we don't have a lot of detail like we have about some of the churches Mm -hmm. earlier in in the book in Alabama about the makeup of these people. Like The people who are in church might be from the same economic background as the people who go to the bar. It's just literally they've made a different choice. Some people go to the bar and drink and play pool, and then some people are going to church and are listening to this sermon, and they're doing somewhat different things with their lives. And That creates a context in which, um, well, there's one set of people who are interested in order and respectability and uh, somehow Pritchett's appearance seems to be gratifying to them, maybe too gratifying. Too gratifying (laughs) uh, for King, the Slater King. So
0: King's in jail, but long story short, he gets bailed out by a well-dressed black guy that pays his fine. Right, Gabe? Sure. sure. Gabe, did you even do the readings? Gabe is, Gabe is smiling. He's saying, sure, because that's not what happened. So long story short, uh, Mayor Kelly's law firm partners with this guy, B.C. Gardner, and he's the guy that pays the bill. Pritchard says a well-dressed black man paid $356 in cash. But Branch writes, the way he writes this, that he's getting pressure from the Kennedys, and as if the Kennedys are saying, "I don't care how it's done, King needs to get out of jail." You know, they're Democrats. Kelly Kelly's a Democrat, um, and Pritchett was Pritchett and Kelly are kind of sour about it. And he says it's like a, this Southern code of like lying, but the Kennedy insinuates that it's almost like a national security issue. Like they got to get out of jail. This is like a stain on us. People in the movement are stunned, and King holds a press conference saying, this is one time I'm out of jail, that I'm not happy about it. Is that the way you kind of read it, though, with uh, getting him out of jail?
1: I mean, it's a complicated, multidimensional problem, and it seems to recur again and again and again in this era, right? That if you are arresting someone for unjust laws, then you are creating a sort of... uh, moment of social tension, which is bad for the management of the Democratic Party, it's bad for the president uh, in terms of his election future, it's bad for the United States on the global scene, but uh, it creates a different pressure for Southern white supremacist politicians because they can't be seen to have no consequence for breaking uh, segregation laws because then the segregation facade will crumble nor do they want to be in direct confrontation with the federal government because then they could be um, displaced. That the, right. the federal government could will power in their jurisdiction, so they don't want to be seen to be weak. Um, it, it, I, I think you literally read the, uh, the sort of three-cornered problem yeah. earlier, right? And so this deceit is a way to get out of it, and the excuse of, well, let's relieve the tension so it's not um, – sort of pawn on the board of Soviet propaganda is is a way to justify where they're not going to be Southern gentlemen. They're going to be liars and frauds. King's out of jail.
0: And this is where like media just starts to be really critical of King, woefully inadequate in his organizational ability. King should not be trying to establish the SCLC as an organization independent of the NAACP. And and then also newspapers just accept that the well dressed black man got King out. <laughs> Poor journalism there. There's some better journalism later, by the way. So the Albany movement is at a low point. It's like a six months law, six month law and demonstration. Remember, King left in December. This is July. Um, he you know he had been followed by a sharp defeat and local whites seemed tougher and less compromising than ever. The Albany movement, James Gray declared that you know the efforts led by King. This is bad, says had nothing more than to bankrupt the city's bus system, cancel the Christmas parade, cost Negroes jobs and money and cause the jailing of nearly 800 persons, many of them children of long established and honorable citizens of the Negro community. They now have criminal records. Is this the way to teach the young about America? This is like one of his, you know, comrades, sort of. Um, well not directly King's, but he's in the movement. Some were swayed by Gray's argument that King himself was a problem. And this is gonna continue. Any any thoughts? No. So Albany so they create this Albany Manifesto to try to restart the you know, the movement and get some momentum. And they declared that the Albany officials have dealt them dealt with them in bad faith. So they sent small groups to test segregation at city libraries and parks. How does that go? They're met by police blockade, and many were arrested. King goes to, a little aside, King goes to D.C. quickly to address the National Press Club. He mentions nonviolence. The press club's kind of like into it, like, yay, which is, I guess, a point of first time a black guy maybe have uh, addressed them. Anyways, let's go back to Albany. So, okay, this is insane. So, King declares we should have a mass, there's a mass meeting on July 20th. We should have a, a march the following Saturday. But a U.S. deputy marshal um, begins knocking on doors with a with court papers signed by U.S. District Court Judge Robert Elliott, a strident segregationist appointed by Kennedy, of course, because he's a Democrat, Southern Democrats. He accepted the novel argument. This, I wanted like, I wanted to fall off my chair. I wanted to scream. He accepted the no- the novel argument of Albany officials that turned down, turned upside down the civil rights movement' chair stand on the Fourteenth Amendment. So here's what the ruling says: Instead of ruling that segregation was a denial of Negro rights to equal protection under the law, Elliot ruled that Negro protest marches denied Albany white people. Equal protection by draining police manpower and other public resources out of white neighborhoods. Therefore, pending a hearing on the city's request for a permanent junction, the judge ordered Albany protest leaders to desist from further marches. I wanted to scream when I read this. And like, this is like the most avant-garde, bizarro world, obscene. How did this even... It's
1: insane. Not, so this is why I was confused earlier. This is your avant-garde Yeah, concept. maybe I'm using wrong. So it doesn't I, make any I, sense. I, it does I, not make I, any sense. I, I think it's not avant-garde. I think it's as... It's like, I think it, it's he's taking a very old reactionary idea in uh, U.S. law, uh, or even older, and applying it to the situation, right? The idea is that... The established community, the the people who have a position of power and privilege, are infringed upon by people who are uh, causing an inconvenience to raise concerns about their demands, right? Like this, what it reminds me of is the sort of pre Wagner Act enforcement of injunction against the labor movement. Right, that if miners, yeah, miners are going on strike, then they are interrupting in um, the exercise of commerce around private property, and so therefore a judge is going to authorize law enforcement to take whatever means are necessary, or even the company itself through its hired security uh, to take whatever. Steps they see fit to clear you're, people out of the way.
0: Yeah, you're grounding it actually in a little more reality and tangible things. Because I'm like, how did this come up? Like, I thought he just pulled this out of thin air. But I mean, no, it's especially obscene
1: because he's making reference to the Fourteenth Amendment, <laughs> um, which is kind of in what we would call today sort of trolling a little bit. But um, yeah. it's it's it. So he's a he's a, being a creative reactionary. Yeah. But the idea that we're going to shut this down because it's out of order to cause a disruption uh is old as the hills okay and very american mom Ma- <laughs> well that's why we pay you to have on this
0: show Gabe, for that kind of legal expertise you're a legal eagle as i say so deputy marshal knocked on dr anderson's door where the, all the movement leaders were at king was present and everybody was silent when the marshal popped in uh he didn't actually recognize king and he was about to he was like trying to find you know where's martin luther king a few others so king and a few others actually escaped through the window and head out the back alley and then they're like, you know, what are we doing? This is this is crazy. Let's just go get served. So the next day, the early afternoon, I guess, he goes down and gets served the ruling. So then we have this big tension in the book, this chapter of should you obey the order or not? Like, what are you supposed to do? So the big question was that. And his the attorney, William Kunstler, advised King not to. I think is what he said. He said, this restraining order is illegal. This was a sticky issue for King, so he gets on the phone with RFK and Burke Marshall, and the scene is like they're talking for nearly two hours. They're going round and round. And if King marched in defiance of Elliott's order, he could go to jail for contempt of court, and the the segregation issue would be lost to this contempt of court argument. King told the administration, listen, I'm tired. We're tired of this. We're sick of this. Somebody always will find a way to make protests unreasonable. Which is true, right? Branch said Kennedy was pushing King, implying that King was being reckless. And King wasn't into that, saying, some of these problems you've created for yourself by appointing segregationist federal judges. And I think at this point, RFK gets off the phone and hands the phone back over to Burke Marshall. They talk round and round and round until it just kind of ends in a stalemate. The Attorney General is kind of prickly on this subject of civil disobedience, because he's thinking, how could King even think of defying this court order when governors and school officials across the South were praying for an excuse not to obey federal school um, integration orders? So there's like this stalemate. Of course... Charles, the the Charleses, the Jones, Charles Sherrod, James Foreman, SNC leadership argue that we cannot wait. We have to protest. We need to get in the streets. This is ridiculous. So what happens? What does happen? When I was reading this, I was thinking, well, King's going to go to jail. I don't know why. Just like, well, he's just going to go and that's what's going to happen. And it will be another thing and there'll be some sort of. um, So what happens is. There's a meeting of several hundred people, and Branch does a good job of covering this. This preacher, Reverend Benny Wells, is preaching. He's getting the crowd. He's getting amped up. King's like in the basement, I think. Is that right? Or he's like around, and they're waiting for King to preach. And the crowd's getting excited. The crowd's getting excited. And King never preaches. And then Wells leads a group of 200 people to leave the church downtown to protest. 113 people get arrested. And then there's this national story where King and other defendants, you know, Abernathy and whatnot, they do not defy the order. A legal crisis is diverted. King was not in jail. And the Wells March just becomes a minor a minor event. And um, then, you know, there's going to be a gripe session where King gets a little crap for it. But uh, were you a little surprised by that? Maybe, well, you know, I, don't know.
1: I, I think that their right to have to pause and think about the implications of this. Because if you're defying the order of a federal judge, then you're then in the teeth of federal law enforcement, which is to say that it's no longer Laurie Pritchett who's arresting you, that it could be Robert Kennedy or the agents of Robert Kennedy who, who have to enforce federal law. And although there's been a back and forth, a push and pull with the federal government in general, the Kennedy administration in particular, these are people that they've been having quiet meetings with and backroom communications, and they've, they've mutually collaborated in some important ways and made some progress in by engaging the administration. I think he is right to think about Pause, how yeah. things are going to be different if now, in addition to fighting the state of Georgia or the city of Albany, he's also fighting the federal government.
0: And it's hard not to be sympathetic to the youth and the passions to want to, like, sure. keep going forward. And I, when I'm reading this, I always put myself in my 22-year-old brain and body and think, like, I would be like, yeah, let's get out there. Let's do it. But reading it, I'm also thinking, no, you don't want to undermine the other um, progress that's been made on integration in the federal lawsuits. And that makes sense. But, maybe we should take a pause. Maybe we don't have to always be, you know, marching in the streets.
1: So I mean, maybe the counter argument that is simply this is— Uh, such a bad uh, ruling in terms of federal law that you know it's going to get overturned, and so it's right to defy it because then you're going to bring forward the time when that kind of legal interpretation gets smashed down, especially if you're confident about higher courts. I don't have the level of knowledge to interpret that, right? But in the moment and in the political dynamic, I think it would have been an escalation.
0: And they didn't have as much momentum and power. Like they didn't have like a a, as large of a group of people that were. I mean, well, that's
1: that's another real dynamic that the movement is feeling exhausted, a little deflated, right? So then there's this gripe session,
0: Mm. or as Gabe always calls it, a gripe sesh, (laughs) right? Right? Gripe sesh. So King, you know, Branch actually says this is like a far more harrowing ordeal because he goes. I forget somebody's backyard where they're like having sandwiches and iced tea and stuff. And the SNCC leaders of Albany, Sherrod Jones region foreman uh, fellow law student, Tim Jenkins uh, start, start attacking King, start attacking him pretty, pretty sharply. Um, and they say like they wanted a people's movement yet, yet without King branch writes the Wells March, you know, had little impact on the outside world. And Branch writes that each had a private complaint against King. For Charles Sherrod, it was King's pragmatism, his habit of second-guessing the great mystical tide of the movement. For Tim Jenkins, it was King's war of religion and suffering, which Jenkins thought stigmatized Negroes as an emotional people unequipped for Uh, the rigors of politics. For James Foreman, it was being older than King and yet dwarfed like a child by his heavily credentialed frame. The students saw King as like too dreamy to have the cunning that the movement required. But they also said he was too attached to his worldly status to lose himself in zealous commitment. Uh, Branch says uh, they hated it. And I can understand this. I mean, who could not? They hated it when reporters and, and like... Even in Albany would phone King in Chicago or New York for his interpretations of events in Albany. Above all, they saw King is um too middle class calling him bourgeois and he would like flinch defensively during these these attacks and critiques, but he would never flash anger. And I gotta say, these guys it's like without King, this is not on the map. This is like nothing like silliness. I can see their being angry at all those reasons and they all seem to be rational and make sense. But at the end of the day, King is a national figure, you know, um, come on guys. You, you're smarter than that. You should know that. And I think they kind of do. And they're just venting, you know, and he's taking all these arrows and just sitting there like, okay, I hear
1: you, but you know, I I have several different re- reactions to this that the way Branch writes this is that it becomes sort of increasingly human and intimate and and of less ideological and more about the relationships between these mm-hmm. these men in the room, which is really compelling and I'm impressed once again by the sort of king's depth of humanity mm-hmm. to be able to take these critiques some with some elements of truth, some I think completely unreasonable and unfair and selfish, frankly, and maintain an even deepened fellowship with these people. That's remarkable. On another level, this is what makes me just hate the 1960s. I just hate this moral posturing, right? Mm. People who went to universities and got degrees <coughs> calling Dr. King bourgeois. Oh yeah Is yeah. ridiculous <laughs> yeah. Right Maybe if these guys Had come out of a coal mine And wanted to talk about uh, uh, King's class background And And uh, tastes in silk pajamas I would be Interested in entertaining that Yeah But yeah, what yeah. a bunch Of ideological yeah. Nonsense They're trying to Grab something That they can't have Because for The dynamics of the situation They don't have The The good sense to create um, and figure out a different kind of collaboration and partnership, which King, I think, keeps extending his hand Right, he keeps doing to, it. But, to you, but I don't think they want celebrity. They don't want glory. They actually want to achieve the, the aims of, you I'm, know. And this kind of behavior, this kind of ideological practice, I think over the course of the 60s makes it harder and harder to build a movement to get that. That's my point, right? So I... They need a little more Bob Moses in them. I
0: find this really hard to take yeah yeah it was like it's like ridiculous come on guys stop it stop this um so after this gripe sesh marion king um this is slater king's wait it is um, yeah slater king's uh wife she goes to mitchell county jail to visit her maid's daughter um marion's pregnant she takes her two kids and they go to this. This is the
1: worst part of the chapter. This is horrifying. This
0: is hor- This is horrifying. And then there's another part that I consider one of the scariest scenes in the entire book. Yeah. Um, what what do you think I'm going to mention there? Why don't we discuss? Okay, it well, rather than okay. me <laughs> guessing what you're thinking, yeah, okay. I don't think that's good. <laughs> All right, yeah. It's, uh, the listeners don't care for that, but there's a scene. So, okay, this is this is horrifying. And yeah, so Marion, pregnant, goes to the jail. They're singing freedom songs. They're there to visit. Um. Then the officers don't like this, and they try to shoo them away from the fence. Marion didn't move fast enough, supposedly. The sheriff says, I mean you. Slaps her across the face. Baby went sprawling from her arms onto the pavement. It's like, that would be one thing. Then he slaps her again. Then he kicks her in the shins. Uh, it's Just like nothing's done. Like, that just occurs. She's, like, beaten up. Her husband later on is, you know. Knocks her to the ground. Knocks her to the ground, yeah. Kicking her, slapping her husband later down cries like a baby fbi shows up investigating the scene king's like trying to like okay let's explain what happened king alerted the justice justice department via email i mean telegram uh burke marshall says oh yeah this is another frustrating thing uh we don't have jurisdiction down there You, you know what i think about when i read that and this is the way my brain works I went right to, um, we're kind of getting to the holiday seasons. We're recording this in November, December. Um, have you ever seen the movie Die Hard? Oh, sure. Yeah. And there's always this thing in action movies where it's like, this is our jurisdiction, if it's something like that. And the FBI always wants to take the jurisdiction, like, we're going to, if this is, you know, the local cops, like the good guy, the FBI is the bad guy. This is the opposite here. So the FBI in the action movies, They want to have jurisdiction, but no. When it comes to civil rights, no, no, I'm not. You know, this is this is not our jurisdiction. So, horrifying, horrifying situation. Good news is, as Gabe predicted, bad, bad law. The Atlanta judge vacated the temporary restraining order the next day, so the Albany movement was free to demonstrate. So a big meeting at Shiloh Church happens. Leaders are less, uh, but because of this beating, that's you know awful. Uh, I thought this was interesting. They're clever or savvy enough to say the motions were too raw. Seemed like the leadership of the Albany movement were cautious to kind of flame the passions of what just happened to Marion.
1: So they actually postponed a planned march. Let me just pause on this for a second. The, the, Branch is saying that Dr. King and others refrain from spreading the news that a pregnant woman uh, uh, who is respected in the community has been knocked down and assaulted by law enforcement causing her to miscarriage, right mm-hmm. they they yeah, decide well, I, I they decide not to bring that into the the message of the movement or their communications propaganda whatever you want to call it and that because i think they suspect that it could lead to possibly violence or certainly a a kind of deepening of alienation between the black community and the, the city of Albany, the sort of white power structure. And I just wanted to highlight that because it's the kind of political, you could say restraint, which I think is really rare that most actors in the world, um, certainly in the 60s, absolutely, in in recent years, if you have some horrendous um, moral scandal of some kind, you'd want to shine a light on it. you want to hang a lantern on it. And they're
0: saying, no, 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 let's wait. This isn't the time to do that.
1: We don't want to make this about um, the killing of unborn black babies and the assaulting of women. We don't want to polarize or antagonize or turn up the heat that high and it makes me think about other choices that leaders have made to make the most of a situation like that right and I I think there's some real wisdom yeah here it, it does
0: seem extremely savvy whatever word you want to use bright smart um, to do that right and and just like you know what let's take a chill
1: here and let's not do that um, I mean you could say that they would have been within their rights to to blow it up right right? and and also it may it may have escalated things in ways that they could not predict let's take a pause right
0: now take a quick musical break and we'll be right back All right. So we just talked about this heavy situation with um, Marion King and the movement saying, let's kind of temper the flames. Let's calm down. Let's pause. And that seems to be the right decision. However, here comes Marvin Rich or... A.K.A. 20-year-old Paul Cooley, a white member of CORE, arrives from New York City, and he gets the crowd all ready to go marching. Then, hey, gang, civil rights! Yeah, let's do it! Let's do it! So, 40. This is this really happened, not me, but this this kid. So, 40 people follow him. They pick up stragglers. Some folks start throwing beer cans. They're going down to protest. Um, they empty the the Negro beer joints and pool halls. Um, Pritchett close the night spots you know it's like yeah let's get them yeah and it's like oh my god these white radicals from the north that don't know shit ruins the whole thing not part of the situation and this this happens all the time in protests and movements where everyone's on one page and then there's that one guy that goes off and it's like ah just cringe you're just cringing pritchard Pritchard says uh, to a reporter, "Did you see them nonviolent rocks?"
1: Yeah. So this th- th- this is a gift wrapped uh, propaganda uh, prize for for Chief Pritchard. Um, this is this is the situation that uh, he is uh, he's dreaming of. Yeah, because they've been pretty restrained, and we don't really have stuff like that. And that's why I said that
0: it's we're on page six hundred. The book's nine hundred pages long. We haven't seen people kind of go off the rails or outside of the main uh established leadership of the Black Freedom Struggle but it's it's happened a little bit here. And this is just
1: rant like randoms just like a Well, well look, this is this is how far this moment is away from the intense discipline of training about how to Take a punch in the back of your head, or a lit cigarette in your ear while you're yeah. at the counter. That the long sessions of of nonviolent, and you see this guy training. Marvin Rich. instead. It's Marvin Rich. It's like, hey guys, drinking a beer. Come on, let's stick it to the man. And, and he's,
0: pro- I mean, he's got good intentions. He's excited. He wants to do right. He's a white guy. He's gonna go down there, and it's like, you
1: idiot. Oh, okay. So, right. can- Me- meanwhile, actually, Pritchett has has drilled his police. You can't pull out your gun unless someone's shooting a gun at you. You can't pull out your nightstick unless someone is is swinging a bat at you. And he gets to talk about, he gets to show off his restraint while uh, this kid from New York City and the guys from the the juke joints are throwing rocks. And he gets to portray Mm -hmm. the city of Albany Uh as nonviolent. Nicely done.
0: Um yes it uh it was very upsetting to read that
1: and kind of funny in a way though. Um I lost uh my notes. I remember a, a friend of mine um who grew up in South Africa in the uh late 80s and early 90s uh telling me with a a, a rueful sense that Gabe, you have to always remember there's some really smart guys uh on the side of apartheid. Oh too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like Laurie Pritchett is good at what he does. Yep. So King holds a a press
0: conference and he calls, uh, he calls a day, declares a day of penance beginning at 12 noon, calling all supporters of the Albany movement to pray for our Negro brothers who have not yet learned the nonviolent way. So they're going to do no protests for 12, for a whole day. And King uh, goes to bars he he goes he like loosens his tie he's like hey you know i used to be a pool shark too which we remember we learned about that he starts talking about this the symbols of nonviolence and why it's important little tidbit here charles jones who's with them he says you know i think the whites have slipped money to some of our black uh you know community members to snitch and provoke this fight and uh, well, that's might be true. Who knows? It's like oh, once you start getting into that thinking, it's like ugh, you know, blaming this and blaming that, and
1: um, oh, it's just not as pure, right? Well, I mean, a, a, as as an effort to kind of reassert the the nonviolent and sort of centralized leadership of the movement in Albany, these two techniques side by side kind of make sense. Like on the one hand, you have King kind of engaging in some affinity building with these guys in bars and saying, by the way, we got to hold it together, guys, because we can't be portrayed as violent or else we're going to lose this whole thing while playing pool with them, which makes sense. Meanwhile, here's this other voice saying, you know, the guys who are throwing rocks are actually... Taking backhanders from the cops. Yeah. So if you see somebody throwing a rock, get away from that guy and don't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it may not be the most honest and principled argument. Right. But you can see how it could be useful. It could be useful.
0: So here's where I think is the scariest scene in the book. Uh, that could be an overstatement, but so while this is going on, or at the same time, um, Charles Sherrod drives to the far out backwoods. That sentence right there, far out backwoods. I don't know, it gets dark. I get scared right there. Far out back woods in Terrible County. I think it's called Terrell County, but they call it Terrible County because it's just scary. So he goes to this voter registration meeting in a tiny wooden church called Mount Olive Baptist. There's 38 black folks there. And a New York Times reporter, Claude Sinton, is there. So he's at this meeting. And thank God for the press and for good journalism here because he covers this. So Sheriff POS, that's a That's a um, POS. It's a thing you say when you don't want to say a swear word. Sheriff POS ZT Matthews. By the way, I couldn't find much about ZT Matthews in the Internet.
1: But he is a prize winner.
0: Oh, oh, my goodness. So he barges in. So just imagine it's dark backwoods. 38 black folks trying to do some voter registration. He comes in and just says he comes in with his gang. They got guns. They got their flashlights. These heavy flashlights. Their guns are like out. I want the colored people to go living like they have for the last 200 years. When a guy is saying that with a gun, horrifying. He's saying this, like, menacingly. They're slapping their, their, um, their uh, you know, uh, flashlights. When they leave some of their tires. Ty- so no one gets injured. But when they leave, some of the uh, tires are slashed. Gas tanks are filled with sand. Um, but this story prompts rfk he's shouting the 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 story is he's shouting at door get down there somebody's got to do something about this this is ridiculous so the justice department files a complaint against sheriff matthews and i was when i was reading this it's like oh yeah it's not somebody getting beaten (laughs) that gets gets me upset someone's got to do something about this but Black people voting for Democrats, you know, vo- the, the voter registration component—that must be why this was such a um, prompting. I mean, it's just a horrifying story too. It's it's scary. It's
1: intimidation. Well, there, 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 there's a set of things going on, right? I mean, first of all, just we could we can do the the taste test between um, Pritchett and, and Matthews. M- Matthews is like some cartoon. He, exactly, <laughs> like just something out of a. Uh, a comic book mm-hmm. almost and ideologically he is he is so inflexible and and literally so uh antique in his views yeah. uh and also willing to of course use force and threaten force in front of a new york times reporter that and we have another one coming up right. like that another guy like that in a minute and and uh, he goes on to explain why it's it's not necessary for more than 50 black people to have the right to vote it's he's just oh yeah he pro- says that right or he, he says exactly he, there, there's like there's 50 people registered to vote that's enough that's plenty that's plenty he, he he's just like sticking his thumb in the eye of the president of the united states and the entire legal and uh legislative effort to ameliorate injustice he he draws this federal action on himself it's exactly the opposite of what people like Pritchett and others are, are trying to do to avoid creating a situation. I mean, do you remember in, in, in an earlier chapter, they have changed that someone has gone with a paintbrush and, and, and changed mm-hmm. the, the signs about interest, interstate to it, uh, with it, interstate, to interstate intra. within the state, as if somehow that this paint job could deny the federal government, the jurisdiction to come in, in, uh, as an interstate commerce mm-hmm. matter. I mean, It is – okay, you you can be cynical about the Democrats and their interests here, right? But I think that the whole country is set up around a federal system. It just is, right? And so, so much in so many areas of federal versus state and local legal matters, whether it's labor rights, whether it's environmental issues, whether it's civil rights – Is about who has responsibility for a particular thing. So the FBI does not uh, investigate if somebody robbed somebody on the street, right? right. And that's where Matthews just doesn't get it, doesn't (laughs) care, uh, isn't thinking, doesn't have the not a smart person, such a reactionary that he just just can't see it. Um, And 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 that's that's what. And finally, by the way, it, it creates a situation in which in which Kennedy, Robert Kennedy has an enemy that is, um, he's not confused, right? He's both someone who is violating laws, he's someone who's using coercion, he's abusing state power, and he's doing it in a way which is, um, sets up a, a clean intervention in a sense, right? Like, this is not the kind of person that the... It's the, easy. The, it's an right. easy... Right. The Georgia Democratic Party isn't even going to defend somebody right, right,
0: like this. Right. So the next day, the, for some reason, the news is all negative still on King in the protest, uh, in the press. Shiloh movement leaders are depressed and angry, and the city responded, they will not meet with the Albany movement. Leaders are arguing amongst themselves. There's a sense they have a lack of power. They're not sure what else to do. And things are going not well King Abernathy Anderson Slater King and seven female supporters go down to the county building or wherever it was and uh, pray for negotiations and um, they pray for negotiations and then Pritchard meets them and says I give in No. What happens? Uh, a, a more crowd joins them, but then Pritchard arrests them all. So they're arrested. Praying. They get arrested for praying. This makes national news again. What would JFK do now that MLK was arrested for praying against segregation? Pritchard gets a rage call from NBC, not the National Black Convention, not National Baptist Convention, but the actual television station. Lawrence Spivak. Who is supposed to have King on Meet the Press the next day? So he's like, "Damn it, what the? I got to He's supposed to be on my show." Pritchard, nice savvy police officer, you know. He's saying, "You know what? I'll let King out. King, you can do the show if you want. I'll let you out. Then you can go right back into jail." King's like, "No, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> this is so he uh, so he's not going to do that." Uh, So they do some compromise where Anderson actually gets to go on the show instead. Meanwhile, some more violence occurs. This is another Matthews type of character. So one of the SNCC activists, this guy William Hansen, gets beaten really badly in jail by other inmates. I'm guessing, I don't know the details. I'm guessing it's other white guys, other white drunk supremacists, southern boys, who knows. So... One of the attorney, one of the lawyers, C.B. King, he, uh, he goes to the jail to like, OK, I want to see my client. I mean, this is just so enraging. So he just he just shows up. He's like, yeah, I want to see William Hansen and D.C. Campbell, the whatever you call it, the, the jail warden or whatever, knows why he's there. Takes a cane, I think it's what it is, what it is uh, like Charles Sumner style, and just like beats him on the head. Beats him pretty badly. Tells him get out of there. Um, and then he doesn't deny it. He goes to the press and says, yeah, I hit him on the head. And, you know, there's, there's no nothing, no few, few protests. Nobody doesn't do anything about it. This puts more spotlight on JFK. And it says, you know, what is he doing? There's violence is occurring. And then there's this little scene where Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller, governor of new york what do we think he wants to be president still is that absolutely that's that's still part of the factor it's 1962 thinking he you know he might want to run for president he's a republican a liberal republican um he's that's he's could be a front runner why he talks to he wants to talk to king but king's in jail he talks to wyatt walker and he says um hey is there anything i can do to help he's like well uh we could use some money so Rockefeller's like, yeah, I'll give you (laughs) $25,000, which just an aside to me, you know, thinking in 1962, just to have that kind of money shows what uh, economic disparity we have in this country still. But even back then, that's a ton of money in 1962. Anyways, so JFK does this. He's getting some press. He's getting heat from the press. He's getting pushback. And he has this press conference, which this is a smart thing to say, funny kind of, why, you know, the United States government is involved in sitting down at Geneva with the Soviet Union. I can't understand why the government of Albany, the city county of Albany, cannot do the same for American citizens. Well, nice to say that, JFK, but are you going to do anything else? Um, Thoughts on that? Well, some of that stuff on the violence, you know,
1: these political um maneuvering by Rockefeller and the statement by Kennedy, and then the response from Democratic Senator Russell, a very powerful Democrat in the Senate, who is aligned to Kennedy on many issues, is a fellow Democrat, but also is a segregationist. Wait, what did Russell say? I missed that. What was his So Russell's Russell's response to uh to Kennedy is to is to sort of decry the statements that the president has made, oh, okay. he, and and he implies that well, the only reason the president's doing this is to is to try to th- um, move votes in Massachusetts so his little brother Teddy can oh, get elected okay. to, to the Congress. That it, anyway, it, it all just sort of adds up to remind us how a, such a totally different political landscape, right, in which a uh, a multimillionaire or billionaire Republican liberal can imagine himself as the presidential nominee of the Republican Party and that he's going to go to the left of the sitting Democratic president the black on, on, on black freedom. Meanwhile, the the sitting Democratic president is being attacked from his right on civil rights from by, party. by a Democratic senator. That These parties are not sorted the mm-hmm. way they are today. Yeah. Right? It is pretty remarkable. Um, it, you, you just have to sort of follow in your head as you're ruling as, as you' as, as you're as you're reading rather yeah because it it, it it doesn't make sense to look at it through 2022 politics
0: all right we have uh some more negative thoughts on King from from all sides and uh, but let's take a break just for a second another quick musical break All right, so more negative thoughts about King from his own teammates. So we learned that Roy Wilkins, remember who Roy Wilkins is. I have, uh, he has a, st- a stamp, the U.S. government has a stamp of, of him. He is the head of the NAACP. So he's meeting with the Kennedys, and he's like, listen, MLK, what he's doing, not my style. I don't really care for what's going on in Albany. Um... I don't know why he says that or what, what he's gaining from that or if he actually means that or what. But you get the sense during this whole damn
1: book that the NAACP is not into some of this stuff. And then – but then one no, of the lobby – Of, of course not. We've talked about it many times, right, that on the one hand they're being usurped as a, as a national organization representing uh, all, all of the claims of black freedom. And he's seeing an opportunity to position himself two steps to the right of king – to, to have access and support and perhaps even um, connection to the White House. And then one
0: of the NAACP lobbyists asked RFK for some action. He says, hey, can you, can you help down there? And RFK says, our hands are tied. You know, we, we, there's not really much we can do. Um, then we get this tidbit from our FBI wiretap from Hoover, that Stanley Levinson kind of com- comments that like, hey, the NAACP, the administration, if it was up to them, they would love it if MLK killed himself. Not like literally, I think. They mean like for him to go away. If this movement would die out and he would just fail and he would not be a part of the national like narrative anymore. Um and I guess that's probably true, right? <laughs> like he's causing kings, causing problems well, for for the Kennedys. Uh, I mean, this is like I guess a I little mean, inside stealing Levin's brain. It,
1: it, it turns out, as we'll see later in in a horrible detail, it turns out to be something which J Edgar Hoover decides to somehow to try to operationalize. Right, but um, it is uh, it's noteworthy that it gets recorded by the FBI when he's thinking this out loud. Yeah.
0: Um, so finally, in early August, the Justice Department does file an amicus brief in support of the Albany movement. Um, the press is finally says, you know, the U.S. will finally intervene on the Negro side. And what's an amicus brief again, Gabe? It's like a friend of the court. Like, you're basically saying, like, we support the, what the Albany movement's doing, and here's our legal motion for it.
1: Yes, you're you are as an outside party that's not a party to a case supporting one of the parties before the court, saying um, we want to add our thoughts to this argument. So it, that's like a heavy a heavy thing for them to do. You you would think, um, right? It's 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 a notable choice for the federal government to take an action like that. And
0: it's finally they're, they're finally doing something. So on August tenth, King and Abernathy go to court with C. B. King uh cb king if you remember from just a couple minutes ago was beaten in the head and he actually shows up to court with like a bandage on his head Uh, let's take a little mini episode about cb king you know he is this kind of unknown character in a way of the civil rights movement you know he's one of the the big family of the kings there's like six brothers that become activists Uh, there's actually i did a little googling there's Actually, a show, a radio show made about his life by a little quiz, Gabe. Do you think NPR did it or the BBC? I don't know. The BBC. Okay. (laughs) So there's a BBC-like little radio show that they made about C.B. King's life. Anyways, so King and Abernathy go to jail with C.B. King, their attorney. He's wrapped in bandages from his head. He's beaten, you know, he's gotten beaten up by uh, this guy, Campbell. The judge, it's a very quick little meeting. The judge finds them guilty, finds them $200. But he suspends the sentence on the condition that the defendants do not violate any laws. And then King asks if this means that they have to obey the city's segregation ordinances. And the judge says no, because the Supreme Court had overruled those ordinances. So this is like a win. You know, The, the they celebrate. Albany politics has just renounced kind of segregation. But in a backhanded uh, way backhanded the, way the, the judge
1: said he won't uphold them
0: won't uphold them and so they're out of jail king goes back to atlanta he preaches at ebenezer daddy king's proud but really this is not a real touchdown type of home run victory so the albany movement sputters city officials didn't arrest anybody um they promised that they but But they closed city libraries, parks, tennis courts where any integration could occur. So any breach of um, customary segregation was not going to happen. And so it's kind of looked, you know, we kind of can see this as a failure. Sort of. I mean, we can talk about it in a second. So while this occurs, Lee County, Albany, this is after this somewhat victory, An arsonist firebombs Shady Grove Baptist Church in which uh, SNCC were using for voter registration. The police and the authorities are like, I think this was an electrical storm that did this. (laughs) Like, like this was probably how did this happen? I have no idea. But if I were to guess, it was probably something from faulty wiring. Clearly, it was firebombed. It was obvious, obvious voter registration place. Um, And Branch writes that it was obvious that city officials made compromises necessary to relieve the pressure of King's imprisonment, but they were laying down a stirring challenge to the civil rights movement. He says that, you know, the whites were demonstrating that they too could be galvanized by humiliation in the face of their raw power. Um, The Negroes found their options much reduced. Marches were now out of the question. People were no longer volunteering for jail. I mean, this is kind of like a really low point still king this occurs so king calls for reinforcements um, nationwide he appeals to clergymen so 74 74 people show up nine rabbis catholic laymen 40 protestant ministers for this one day like march jailing this all occurs without much drama
1: really not much press newspaper makes fun of it with an alliterative headline
0: yeah what did they say I don't have that. Like
1: a cabal of clergy captured and, oh, and like c- yeah. constrained in the calaboose or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um,
0: and then leftic, leftist academics at S- Smith uh, College. Uh, so what is it? Stanton Lynn and Glenn something. Harding. Give a critical, a critical uh, report on this whole event saying that, you know... They, there was too much of a media star with King. They were insensitive to local. You know, they should have gone to jail more. Um, They had errors in handling the bus strike. Um, There should have been better public leadership. I mean, just a horrible review. Like, shut up, (laughs) shut up. You, you know, I don't know. I didn't like hearing that. Um, But King tries to put a positive spin on this, saying. You know, voter registration is up. Hearts are changed. You know, arrests are down. But like, there is movement that we should be proud of here. There is progress. Maybe I should say. Um, thoughts, Gabe. Before I do my final reading.
1: I mean, it's it, kind of it,
0: ends with a whimper.
1: This the Albany. Yes, I mean, I. Bum, 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 I, I well, while um, you know, academics at at Smith College writing critical articles is never the first voice I turn to for an analysis of of the movement. It seems clear that a lot of people realize this has not been a breakthrough victory like Montgomery or, or, uh, or other cases, and King himself understands this. And Branch writes that, having learned that it took time
0: to seize the attention of the outside world, King wanted to control the timing and rhythm of the next campaign. In Albany, he had become a latecomer arriving after mass arrests, but he was drawing most of the criticism anyways. Nobody was calling Albany a tactical failure for SNCC or the NAAC, NAACP. From the bus boycott through the Freedom Rides in onto Albany, King always had entered popular movements more or less haphazardly. Now, since his public stature made anything, um, he did a referendum on his made a referendum on his principles. Pragmatism demanded that he design his own tests. Uh, let me just wrap this thing up here. So it said, Branch writes, he needed advanced planning, training, mobilization, and specific rather than general target area. In short, he needed control of the concentrated effort, maximizing with his risk and his chances for spectacular success. To his staff... King announced his resolve to swear off spontaneous rescue missions. And this is where the chapter title comes from, where he says, I don't want to be a fireman anymore.
1: That's understandable.
0: Yeah. Because you don't know if you're going to be able to put the fire out. And, you know, he was there at the beginning of Montgomery, but, uh, You don't control it. But how how are you going to control the event? So he wants to now be community organizer. They're going to go off to, I think he's going to Birmingham. I think that's where we're going next, right? Um, But this chapter really paints, if you don't learn much about the civil rights movement, or if you don't know that much, I was a little surprised with the continued criticism, not from the media, you hear that, but within his own uh, the the youth, I guess. I mean, we got a little bit of that before, but people are critical. And I guess, of course, that would happen when you're failing, you know. We see that here in Pittsburgh with our football team not doing well. People are <laughs> criticizing this guy and that guy and this offensive coordinator and this quarterback and all that. But man, he was really getting a lot of arrows at this one, you know.
1: Right. And and, and look, I mean, I think that Br- Branch has already done a good job of sort of explaining the origins of SNCC even though some of these snake leaders are, are not that much younger than King, they're not uh, from, they don't have the same experience as him coming out of a really the, the black elite necessarily and um, being positioned as a leader whereas they have, they're all sort of solidarized by this moral experience of The sit-ins and and the freedom rides, they have, in some ways, uh, a moral revolutionary idea, and they also lack some of the things that King has, and so they have both a critique and a kind of jealousy, and... this tension seems to persist and take shape throughout the course of, of Dr. King's life. I mean, it'll it'll look different in the late 60s than it does in the early 60s. But I think it's just a constant um, dynamic, as is the dynamic sort of to his right with the NAACP.
0: And it's like he's an academic activist or something. Like he, he was, he did go, you know, he has a doctorate. Um, they're not like that. They're more wanting to just engage, engage, engage and... That's not where his he wanted to be a professor, right? Or is that, is, what did we say he wanted? Well, he he gets the church, but like the, there was thoughts of you know maybe actually becoming like a theologian, like a theologian right? The, yeah. the,
1: right. This the, the, this is one of the paths that he could Im- imagine himself on, but the whole it, and we'll, we'll read more about this, I suspect, right? But the organization that King has developed around his own really unique. Uh, oratory, his intellect, his. Um, are you t- are you talking about like SCLC or just a, yeah SCLC in- with him as this as this unique leader, with this network of pastors who are close to him, with this also this capacity around um, Levison and and Bayard Rustin and Odell and others these sort of um, ex communists and. Gay and Mm -hmm. Jewish like uh, Organizers who are running Fundraising and communications He he has all these things that Snick doesn't have What Snick has is this Intense shared experience And moral zeal And physical courage And And, and youth kind of joining them And stuff like that And, 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 And these things Are asymmetrical And culturally very different
0: don't they? They dovetail nicely, sort of though, right? Is that well, the rare, that, is that that's the the, that's that's what <laughs> that's you would hope. Goal, yeah. That's what you would hope. And it's it's coming apart at sometimes. Um, and unfortunately for you, uh, small D Democrat anarchist types, um, it does sort of drive home that like leadership is pretty important. <laughs> you have, you know, you you can only get so far, but if you, to have a spokesperson, maybe that's the better word is uh you almost it's it's almost instrumental
1: well any organization of any kind under any rules has leadership we are all leaders game how leaders make choices matters so
0: we're all leaders we are leaderless no that's not true okay anyways guys thanks so much for listening and we will be producing a couple more of these soon one more tidbit before we go i'm hoping this is not going to be the last time we record in person But it might be because um, Gabe is taking a spaceship to Mars. (laughs) Again, everyone's listening to this in in 2040, and we have a colony on Mars. So we will see. We might have to do some transmissions from outer space. But uh, anyways, uh, thanks so much for listening. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. All right. Good night.